earlier this week, um, I was watching a Zoom broadcast on traveling in Ireland, and it was hosted by Rick Steves. Uh, Many of us from this area are familiar with Rick Steves from his travel videos shown on PBS, perhaps a little too often, but or from his guidebooks, we've maybe used them for our own travels. Um, and we've kno- we know him particularly here in this area because he lives in this area. He's a local guy, he lives in Edmonds. This is a guy who has made his living on guiding US travelers through Europe. He has been particularly good at finding places and experiences that are often overlooked or otherwise unknown to the majority of tourists. So I was a little bit surprised uh, in this broadcast when he spent some time praising the advantages of hiring a local guide, even when traveling in Ireland, an English-speaking country. I mean, I can understand the benefits of finding an English-speaking local guide in a country whose first language is not English. But when I can read all the signs and I can generally communicate with everyone, I thought the point of the guidebook was to do the guiding. But the truth is, nothing beats experiencing a place or a culture or an event with someone who knows it from the inside out, who knows what is going on in that present moment, everything that's easily observed and what is going on behind the visible, all those things that might otherwise be missed. And nothing can replace the intimacy and immediacy we are able to have with a real person right there with us, with whom we are able to talk within that moment, able to guide us even before we need guidance, someone to keep us safe even, and generally just keep us company. Frankly, I mean, think about it. Most of us would love to have someone like this in day-to-day life. A real-life Siri. I've named Siri on my phone. I I switched to the British butler voice, and I call him Sir E. Could you imagine when we have a computer or a phone or some sort of tech problem, having our own Apple genius right there with us? Take over, please. Or when we're trying to file our taxes, that we have a friendly... Note, friendly IRS agent with us at our table. In our story this morning, from the gospel according to John, Jesus knows a transition is coming. Within days, oh, excuse me, Jesus has spent, up to this point, he spent much of the prior three years living side by side with a group of of 12 disciples in particular. Within days, he knows he will be gone from them. He will be killed, entombed, raised to new life, and passed through to God's kingdom. 
even though the disciples will continue to dwell in the same geographic space within the same society they have grown up in, Jesus has revealed to them glimpses of an entirely different way of living, an entirely different way of understanding and valuing the world. He's been with them personally, teaching and guiding, answering questions, asking questions, encouraging them and comforting them. He knows that when they can't see him physically anymore and interact with him in the way that they had, that they are going to despair. So in our story, he tells them that they will not be on their own. He tells all of his disciples, including us, that we will never be alone. Specifically, Jesus tells them, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and God will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The name that Jesus uses here is vital, but it's also very difficult to translate into English. The Greek word is parakleton. The English Bible translations are all over the map on how to translate this one word. NIV, ours has counselor. Others have it comforter, advocate, helper, friend, encourager. Those are all various translations. <clears throat> Some don't even try to find an English equivalent and they just translate it as the paraclete. Literally, it's a compound of two words that would translate just literally one called alongside. Somebody called alongside. In some ways, I think that that might even be better just to leave it that longer, one called alongside. And then let us all imagine the numerous things that that might mean for us. Part of the purpose of using this title is to teach us the breadth of the roles that the Holy Spirit has in our lives. The Holy Spirit does all of those things, counsels, comforts, advocates, helps, befriends, encourages, all the things that Jesus did for the first disciples while in person with them the Holy Spirit does for us. Notice that Jesus said that God will send another counselor. The Holy, uh, excuse me, uh, another counselor or another one called alongside because Jesus was the first one called alongside human beings. He became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. Now, we have the Holy Spirit to dwell among us. This is part of the grand story of our relationship to God. In our Hebrew First Testament, we heard that God would one day dwell among us. 
Shout and be glad, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord, and in that day will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Again, the birth of Jesus into this world fulfilled a crucial chapter of that prophecy. But as a human himself, Jesus was bound by the restrictions of our humanity. He could only be in one physical place at one specific time. The Holy Spirit makes this presence of Christ real for all human beings everywhere at every time in a truly life-changing way. In fact, in some ways, it is even better for us that we have the Spirit of Christ with us rather than Jesus the human. Notice in verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and God will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept... I have trouble with the pronouns here and not just generally because of all that's going on, but it's most, many of the times uh, Spirit is the neuter in the... Uh, neuter? Yeah. I looked, I looked to my language expert. Um, and so it's more, honestly, it's more of an it because it's, it's a person but beyond person. But anyway, the, the world cannot accept the Spirit because it neither sees the Spirit or knows the Spirit. But you know the Spirit for the Spirit lives with you and will be in you. That is something that Jesus couldn't do because he was restricted by our humanity. Again, verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And this should be as, as wildly confusing and excitedly confusing as it is. What does that mean? I don't know exactly what it means, but it's, it's amazing and, and life-changing. And then even again in verse 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Our home with them. Merrill Tenney, former professor from Wheaton College, elaborates, the function of the Holy Spirit is to make the reality of God convincing to all men and women in the same way that Jesus did for his disciples. And the purpose of all of this is found in Jesus's benediction in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, shalom. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled, be agitated, and do not be afraid. The writer of our story, John, understands peace the peace that Jesus gives us as a state of being in which we know in our hearts and in the depths of our souls that all is right in the world between us and God. That we are filled with God's loving presence even now and 
we will surely experience the wholeness of life with God in the age to come. Raymond Brown puts it this way. He notes that according to one of the the intertestamental books of wisdom, peace is one of the blessings of the souls of the just who are in the hand of God. But in John's understanding, peace is enjoyed by Christians even during this life. In that sense, that it, because we are already in the hand of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. There are several other parts of John's gospel that reveal this same truth. But I chose this particular uh, scripture to look at because I've always been disturbed by those inferences about obedience and love. They, they've always felt to me as if they put a condition on receiving God's love and even receiving the Holy Spirit, as if Jesus was saying that if we want to receive God's love and the Holy Spirit, we must obey Jesus's commands and then it will happen. Or, uh, excuse me, and that just didn't seem to fit with what I've otherwise learned and come to know about God. And I'm glad that we looked at this particular one because I do believe that that is a misreading. I think the mistake that sets everything off in the wrong direction right at the beginning is a particularly difficult translation of that very first verse. Verse 15, the NIV has it, if you love me, you will obey what I command. The Greek word that they translate if is, is far more often and is much better translated when. When you love me, you will obey my commands. And, and that verb about obeying is a future tense. It's not an imperative. So in other words, Jesus, I believe, is saying, when you are loving me, that's when you will be doing what I asked. I believe Jesus is telling his disciples how we will know when the Spirit is with us and when we are following the guidance of Jesus. When we are experiencing God's deep love of us, that is the Holy Spirit present with us. And when we are sharing love with others, that is us doing what the Holy Spirit is encouraging us to do. In other words, that is when we are obeying Christ, when we are experiencing God's love and sharing that with others. As we hear and see so often in other scriptures, the world tells us that we should look after ourselves and get all that we can get. Jesus revealed the truth. We are loved and cared for by God already. God wants us, therefore, to love and care for others. Jesus knows that this way of God can be difficult to follow, difficult in many different ways. And so he assures all of his disciples, including us, in verses 25 and 26, 
All this I have spoken while still with you, but the one called alongside the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. We are not alone. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is with us to teach us, to guide us, to encourage us and comfort us, always. Our most uh, recent book selection for QAPC Reads dealt with a lot of current issues that are plaguing our world. The destruction that human beings are inflicting on our planet, our ferocious consumerism, the centering of what's best for human beings right now without regard for any other living creature and any other time. The author who wrote it, Richard Powers, I think correctly diagnoses much of the cause as human beings being disconnected from all of creation other than human life and not even contemplating the possibility of something even equal to human consciousness, let alone greater than human consciousness. In his novel, only a small scattering of people know this truth, can see this truth, can see what he titles the book, the overstory, that all of nature is alive and interconnected and vital, that it all must be cared for and received as gift. In this book, of the small group of human beings who understand that, an even smaller group can actually communicate with beings of life that, in a sense, guide them. I think that there are many hints and guesses in the novel that lead in the direction of what we Christians consider the ultimate overstory. That the ways of this world do lead to destruction. That God calls those who know Christ to live in a different way. Loving God and receiving the love of God and sharing that love with others and all of creation. To do this, God has given us the Holy Spirit to be with us, to teach us, guide us, encourage us, comfort us. Always, we are never alone. John sums it up in our New Testament passage. Dear children, let us not love with words or, excuse me, that's the NIV. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're truly living, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. I love that little part. <laughs> even when we got good reason for it. 
For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of, we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves. Then we are bold and free before God. We're able to stretch our hands out and receive what we've asked for because we're doing what God said, doing what pleases God. Again, this is God's command, to believe in their personally named son, Jesus Christ. Jesus told us, Jesus' command that we are called to obey, Jesus told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep this command, we live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us, by the spirit he gave us. Thanks be to God.